Welcome to season two of The Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. Two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs. In this show, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Unforgiving 60 and welcome in particular to RV17, which actually sounds like the name of a new virus, but I'm joined... AKA it, the Ben virus. <laughs> the corona Ben. <laughs> Novel Corona Ben. Um, I'm joined by wise cracking co host Tim Curtis. Tim, how are you? G'day, Ben. Nice to be with you. Also nice to be with you. Now, in this RV, I thought we'd take a look back on all things Anzac Day and in particular our little Anzac Day special voices of veterans. Oh, you thought we'd take a look back, did you? After you suggested it, I thought that's what we should do. And I'm going to call this Voices About the Veterans from Voices of Veterans. Does that work? That's actually really good. Say that again. Uh, Voices About the Veterans from Voices of Veterans. (laughs) Now, what we want to do, we, we collected this sort of rogues gallery of our friends and acquaintances and people we, we deeply admire and respect and, and ask them during our Anzac Day episode uh, a couple of questions about what Anzac Day meant to them. And we got some cracking responses and I, I thought it was a really good, I found it very moving episode. And what we thought we'd do is just provide a bit of the backstory, how we know some of these folk and um, maybe some of the stuff that didn't make the uh, the Anzac Day episode. Oh, the stories are good and the stories are rich. And just from the outset, we've done 63 episodes, Ben. I've only cried in two of them, so I'm 3%. Only 3% of episodes do I cry in. The ones you cry in tend to rate pretty well. (laughs) Well, I'm not crying about me. I'm crying about other people. That's the terrible thing. It's just my selfless nature. I'm a team player. I'm absorbed in other people's issues. (laughs) Oh, there's a lot of us crying about you, Tim. (laughs) Don't worry about that. Um, Before we get into the voices about the... (laughs) Veterans from Voices of Veterans. Um, general reflections on the new approach to Anzac Day this year? Um, I was sceptical about going to the end of your driveway and lighting a candle, but I think I'm very, very wrong. I didn't do it because we had a family dawn service mm. virtually, um, which was pretty cool using the um, order of service from the SAS dawn service last mm-hmm. year that I happened to have. So we didn't actually end up going out to the end of the driveway, but everyone that did said it was fantastic. It brought their streets together. Yeah, I did. And it was, I reckon, a fantastic idea, which I really, really hope endures. It is uh, more of a local. It felt very intimate. Mm. I didn't have to get dressed up, which mm. was pretty cool. But... I think it was also, it almost lowers the barrier to entry. I I had a friend of mine who's never served who reflected that, um, and and I'd never thought about this, but but he loved the concept of Anzac Day and wants to commemorate Anzac Day, but uh, said that he sometimes feels like something of a fraud going to an Anzac Day ceremony because he hasn't served or he hasn't had family members who served, which fundamentally I don't think is the case. But um, he reflected that this kind of lowered that barrier to entry, you know, it's even more inclusive than, than Anzac Day's become 
uh, around Australia. And, and I reckon that's a super cool thing. Mm. I mean, even if one thing endures, the light a candle at the end of your driveway or on, on your front wall or your porch, I reckon that's a really cool concept on mm. Anzac Day. Yeah. Not on super <laughs> Don't start a bushfire <laughs> if you're in a rural area. A, a candle then. <laughs> Not a bonfire, right. a candle. Right. But no, I do hope that that endures um, beyond this. And uh, well, gee, I hope that we're out of lockdown by Anzac Day next year, but um, that'd be a nice touch to, to keep going. Well, let's get on with the show. Okay, voices about the veterans from Voices of Veterans. A few backstories on the people that we uh, were lucky enough to have contribute to that episode. Who was up first, Tim? Be wrong not to tell a good story or two about Colonel Matt, um, who I think is the highest ranking officer that we had on the episode. On that that episode? Yeah, it would have been. But when I first met him, 1996, doing my patrol course in the SAS, he was doing his patrol commander's course. And it was during this time in the unit when we were trying to encourage unconventionality (laughs) (laughs) And uh, pretty much anyone could come to the unit dressed in whatever, looking however, and because you had to shave, most people... Um, chose, you know, the beard. chose the beard, chose the moustache, the rat's tail, the mullet, you name it, grew it out. Uh, Matt was a little different. And I turned up on the patrol course and here was this guy and he's a big unit. He's mm. a pretty mean looking dude, shaved head and a ring earring at the top of his ear. It was quite intimidating, this, uh, this guy who was clearly smart and mm. had this incredible energy about him that I just found infectious and through the course of that particular um, course, we just became quite close. And even though we weren't in the same squadron, we always uh, stayed in touch. And fast forward, only a couple of years later, I took a composite troop away on operations as an extremist response force. And his um, team was allocated to me from a different squadron. And, you know, kind of, you know, what operations are like generally, or back in those days, kind of 60% boredom, 30% admin, 10% excitement. And the 60% boredom, there was a lot of time just lifting weights in the gym and, and chewing the fat, and we had an absolute ball. So then fast forward a few years later, and uh, Sergeant Matt decides he's going to commission to officer. And uh, we talked about it. I said, you know, I think all your intentions are right. You know, your outlook's great your attributes are exactly what they'll be looking for i think you should go for it he then has to be posted out of the unit he gets commissioned he has to be posted out of the unit 9-11 happens mm. and old Buggerlugs here gets given the job to raise the east coast counter-terrorist force and they said you pick your team and he was the first one i picked and uh it was i mean that was an incredible year and maybe indulge me for a minute or two we walked into the counter-terrorist company headquarters the building that had been allocated to us. I think the building was built in the 1950s. We'd come from, you know, the SAS. It was incredibly well resourced into a unit that um, certainly had no CT equipment. 
he and I both walked in together. There was no one in the building. We walked into the quartermaster's store where we met our quartermaster and there was nothing in the queue store. We then walked up past all of the what would be platoon offices and they were empty. And the very end office, which was the officer commanding office, officers, officer commanding's office, uh, my office, there was a broken desk and two chairs no computer, nothing. And we both looked at the state of the building and the office. We looked at each other and just then, no exaggeration, a rat ran across the floor and into the wall. And I said to Matt, well, I guess we better get started building this capability then. Very cool. And actually, just a few years after that, um, he wanted to come back to the SAS as a troop commander. There was a bit of resistance about him going back to his old troop in which he'd served as a soldier, and, and I made representation on his behalf. I was actually the OC of the squadron at the time, and he came back to command the very troop that he'd been in as a soldier, um, complete with a lot of his peers as a soldier, and he did an absolutely sterling job as a troop commander, including that little um, trip that he talked about that was one of his most memorable Anzac days with the then Prime Minister John Howard in Iraq. Mm. No, dead set champion, Matty. Really good dude. Next, we spoke to Mark Wales. Mm -hmm. Now, we've spoken to Mark a fair bit. Um, Mark's a a really close friend and was kind enough to to do an episode with us earlier this year. But um, thoughts on Mark? Well, I've been thinking about Mark... I must have been an instructor on his selection course. He did selection in 2004, right? Yep. I think he's a 2004 selection course. Okay. And I would have been a member of directing staff on that course. And in fact, we had these really peculiar activities for the officer module. Um, Mm. Hopefully they've been enduring. We created this fictitious country. Um, There was all of these paradoxical problems. You know, the officers would parachuted in to train this indigenous force to go and recover this satellite that had crashed. But there was a heap of other competing nations that also wanted this satellite. And they came up with this plan and in they walked to brief the country leadership and right before they started briefing, um, we changed the picture. We said, oh, no, 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 that's not happened now. We've now, you know, this has now happened and that's now happened. And the idea was, you know, what's a plan? It's a common basis for change. Mm. We wanted to see how adaptable they were in their thinking and we were pressuring them for solutions. So I wonder if he remembers that. <laughs> big so, melon head, So that Mark. was a big story about, about Mark <laughs> that doesn't feature Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Look. I think in terms of Mark Wales, he is a guy who is not going to die wondering. Yeah. You know, his his story to date is just a litany of things that he's decided, I'm going to do it, and then he goes out and just does it. And, um, I mean, that, that's an in-uniform comment and also an out-of-uniform comment with his MBA and fashion label. I, I admire the guy. I think that's just, you know, an incredible insight into his personality and his drive and his endeavour and his outlook. Yeah, no, a champion. And that whole, you know, if we want to tie it loosely back to this sort of Anzac myth, but Mark has never fit the mould, you know, he's not, he was the SA's troop commander with an interest in fashion. Now that is not Mm. an ordinary sort of, that's not the stereotype. Um, And yet that's exactly the kind of thing that makes organisations like the regiment tick. And I I think in many ways is what we want to be encouraging, that kind of diversity of thought um, and that 
I guess, moral courage to not have to conform at every step of the way. It helps if you're over six foot and weigh about 120 kilos. Mm, another big unit. Another massive unit, but absolute champion and, and just continuing to kick goals um, to this day. Have you got a story about him in uniform? I mean, you guys work closely yeah. together. So um, Mark was my sniper trooper, troop commander when um, I was uh, OC of the CT squadron. We, we did a couple of trips together, including one uh, to East Timor um, chasing a character called Alfredo Renato, um, which was a, a real interesting sort of on a whole bunch of levels um, uh, trip. But my enduring memories of Mark was through the, the CrossFit days. So we ended up training together um, a, a fair bit. And I think you, you get to know people pretty well. And he's a super selfless guy. I mean, he's very generous of spirit, um, always you know, I, I had a young family at the time we were, we were training and, and he'd always make concessions to, to meet my schedule and my timelines and that sort of stuff, which I think speaks volumes for the, the individual that he is. Yeah. Did he load your bar and strip your bar? Well, I got a better workout from stripping the weights off his bar to get it down to something I could lift than I did by actually lifting uh, I mean, my... rank has its privileges. Why didn't you just order him to load and strip your bar? <laughs> order him to lift it for me. <laughs> Well, that's they are. <laughs> Actually, one of my enduring memories with Mark, um, we were both posted to Canberra together. We were training and we were in the ADFA gym. So we were surrounded by enthusiastic 18-year-olds and we were deadlifting. And I think we got up to, well, I know we got up to 220 kilos. It was four red plates on either side of the of the bar. And I remember him lifting it like it was you know, a school bag, me passing out, meeting Jesus, <laughs> um, losing uh, control of my faculties and somehow uh, getting it up to to lock out. Um, but I remember feeling pretty tough in front. You know, that's the first time that I think I've been one of the strongest guys in a gym and, and that was a, a bit of a, um, a keystone moment for me. And probably the last time as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, speaking of not being the strongest people in any acad- in any physical pursuit, Mon Georgieva. Fantastic. Yep. Uh, Australia's first female infantry platoon commander. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this ad nauseum. You know, she did selection twice and wasn't doing it to be the first. She just wanted to, to use Greg Wallace's words, follow her bliss, do the things that interested her. And she knew that from her early days in the Royal Military College at Duntroon that she wanted to be a combat arms officer. Mm. No, really hardcore. And I like the little circles within circles. Mon reflected that one of her most memorable Anzac days uh, was one in the, the regiment, which was, was choreographed by one of mm. our other guests that we'll, we'll come back to. But um, yeah, no, I, I thought that was fantastic. And her, I mean, we've spoken with Mon separately on a different episode, which I encourage people to listen to if you haven't, just an amazing story. But um. Yeah, her drive and, and motivation uh, and and not for that self-aggrandisement, just for, like, what was it, Edmund Hillary, because it's there, mm. you know, that kind of challenge. I, I find that really impressive. And speaking of initiative and energy, you know, Mon now does some work with us, Ben. Well, does a lot of work does with us. <laughs> the majority of work. She's working while we're recording this. <laughs> yep. But yeah, her initiative is is absolutely incredible, and her judgment. I mean, it's um, if you could bottle or put through a 
a cloning machine mm. on, you would. Um, she's amazing. Yeah, no, really cool. Maddie Cross. Matty Cross, classmate of mine from the Royal Military College. Last of the easy classes. Absolutely. He was uh, Gallipoli Company as well, um, one of my sergeants in Gallipoli Company. I don't know if you knew this, Ben, but I'm you know, company sergeant major <laughs> in the Royal Military College. <laughs> but you... actually, Matty was the captain of the footy club, oh, yeah. the first 18, and I will never let him down, and it would not be right if I didn't mention this, that we got all the way to the grand final, undefeated, and then we lost the grand final. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of fingers that get pointed here and some of them get pointed at me and actually some of them get pointed at my father who was the commandant at the time. We'd been out on this long defensive exercise, obviously no training, pretty crappy Just food. before you, is this going to feature Matty at all, this story? <laughs> <laughs> he captained us to losing the grand final. Okay, but now a story about Tim. <laughs> uh, Ex-1RER officer, um, we were living in Townsville together, actually. We lived in the same house. And, you know, uh, absolute sense of service. So Matt's finished a long-term career in the military and transitioned out and now works for the Department of Veterans Affairs. And he's fiercely passionate as an ambassador for DVA about all things um, relating to, you know, conditions, service and welfare of veterans. I I love the guy to death. He's an absolute gem. And good on him. And that that Again, linking back to the Anzac Day theme, that continued service in in and out of uniform. Well, the other thing about Matty Cross before we leave him is the only he's the only person, Ben, who I know loves to talk about himself in the third person. So there's a lot of crossy. And in fact, you'll hear you'll hear him sign off that way. Crossy out. Crossy in out. The episode. Now when you say the only person, clearly excluding yourself, who often answers the phone with, go for the tea man. <laughs> yeah, but I stole that. I stole that because I was watching a movie with my daughters, Just Go With It. And you'll probably remember that Nicole Kidman um, in that show has, I think it's her husband, who um, claims he invented the iPhone. <laughs> and when he answers the phone, he says, go for the iMan. So in my defense, I just watched that. You called and I thought, what's the most annoying way to answer the phone? that I can possibly use. The, the fact that that is what you thought, <laughs> you know, how can I be the most annoying version, version of, of myself? <laughs> That's your, your fundamental philosophy. Okay, Maddie Cross. Dunning. Ben Pronk. <laughs> need, needs no reflection. But I tell you who does need some reflection, the person who followed me, Cole Busby. Buzz, what a champion. Yep. Um, he was, my first introduction to Buzz was as him as a troop sergeant for um, one of my good friends, Dave. And Dave was waxing lyrical about how, how fantastic his troop sergeant was. And we all generally had tremendous troop sergeants. Yeah, it was a high bar to, oh. to, for people to be uh, viewed as excellent amongst that cohort. They're, they're pretty sharp. Yeah. And, uh, and he was, I mean, a supreme athlete. I think any of his individual school skills were pound for pound, you know, excellent. He also had to deal with a troop commander in Dave that I think in terms of coordination it'd be neck and neck between you and him. <laughs> but you worked very closely with Buzz, Ben. I, I love Buzz. Um, before I get into the good bits about Buzz, I mean, we've just 
um, had a couple of examples of Tim hijacking conversations to tell stories about himself. Buzz is the king of that. <laughs> I remember Buzz farewelling um, a, another unit legend, a guy called Bob, um, and <laughs> it would have been a, about a 40-minute vignette, a war story from Afghanistan. <laughs> Which Bob was not involved in. <laughs> he wasn't even in theatre at the he, time. He was not. A, I oh, think look, that's it, fine. Yeah, that's um, fine. And Buzz also appropriates other people's story. Buzz tells a good yarn, and it came out clearly in 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 this episode. But um, he loves to appropriate other people's stories and and fashion himself as a central character, including one excellent one about uh, spotting counterfeit Grange wine, um, which I'll say for another day. But all that aside. Yeah, Buzz, absolutely incredible. As you said, you know, uh, revered within the unit. I, I was absolutely blessed to have him as um, the, the RSM when I was the commanding officer in the, the first year there. And, and it was an interesting period. We were transitioning out of Afghanistan. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on uh, in the background and just couldn't ask for a more rock-solid confidant, advisor, but also someone who had the absolute respect of every single mm. human being in that unit and was able to communicate, um, you know, some fairly uh, paradigm-changing sort of direction that we were getting uh, in a way that, that was able to, to inspire people and engender confidence. And, gee, I mean, I, I was riding on his coattails in that respect the whole year. I was going to say, yeah, if I had one word to describe Buzz, I'd, I'd say respected. He's also very good at stirring the pot. Loves it. Doesn't he love <laughs> it? Oh, Tim, I don't think it's fair what Ben's been saying about you behind <laughs> your back. <laughs> That's actually true. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a little bit of partial truth, that'll help his, that'll help his stirring the pot a bit. Mm, mm. But also very reflective individual and his particular Anzac story, um, I think, sort of really resonated with me. I loved his reflections on, you know, this isn't a time for peacocking. So for people who have actually been involved, this whole thank you for your service type kind of concept, it's it's brilliant. It is so good that the nation recognises this, but it shouldn't be used as a means for, um, you know, pumping up your own tires if you if you have served I, I think there's a humility inherent in service that that buzz really brought out beautifully in his reflections and I loved that idea it's almost like this concept of religion I mean Anzac day isn't about a cenotaph and a service it is about reflecting on um, the sacrifice and and I, I think we we can extrapolate that just from the military context and talking about in life in general that that people who are doing something for something bigger than themselves and Buzz's story about going up on the top of a hill and mm. and um, reflecting on that that purity uh, of, of what it means um, or what the Anzac Day um, sort of means mm. I, I thought that was beautiful I listened to the story twice um, once and then a second time after my father said, I thought Buzz's part of the stories was the best because he dissociates himself completely. It's not about us standing there with the medals on. Mm -hmm. That's just one minor part of it. Um, and, you know, the, the cool thing that Buzz says in his reflections when we asked, you know, what will you do differently? It's kind of, well, nothing. I'll focus on the important things in life like I always do, regardless of where I am, whether it's the top of the mountain or at a dawn service. Yeah. No, cracking.
Now, we spoke about service in uniform. We've got a bunch of people in the next little bracket of veterans who have continued that service into politics. In no particular order, starting with Pete Tinley, um, WA politician, um, served in the unit as a soldier mm. and then went to the Royal Military College and commissioned. Did selection course again. That's hardcore. There's not many of those, Ben, that successfully complete two selection courses and then came back into the unit as an officer. Mm. And he was a campaign planner um, post 9-11. He was one of those over in Tampa planning um, the invasion of Iraq specifically mm. and also involved in the Afghan campaign. And I actually remember being up in Pete's office he was the um, unit operations officer, and I was highly sceptical that we'd ever send people into Iraq, and he said, no, nah, we're going to go, we're going to be there. He was my squadron commander, and, and yeah. Pete was Pete was awesome as a squadron commander. You know, he gave plenty of latitude to, um, you know, the squadron to, to do its own thing in the best way that it um, that it knew how. And he also had some wonderful phrases. You know, we went through some difficult trying times with... Um, uh, the first Gulf War with some of the extremist response forces that we sent guys away for and some confliction in all of that, people being on one operation, wanting to be on the other, and a couple of lines that have always stayed with me. Um, he stood up in front of a group at one particular point in time and he said, ladies and gents, it's a shit sandwich, but at least the bread is fresh. <laughs> 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 and the other one, um, memorably, he said, uh, you know, everyone's got to be somewhere and we're here. Classic. Um, in fact, that's uh, Odd Angry Shot line, I think, which mm. is, um, yeah, mm. you can never get too much mileage out of the Odd Angry Shot, particularly in an essayist context. That's right. I, no, I love my tin leasons. And so Pete was followed up by some reflections from Andrew Hastie, another politician, this time at a federal level. And um, Andrew uh, commenced his political career when I was still in uniform. And, and in fact, I think I've reflected, we interviewed Andrew as part of our tale of two Andrews. We, we did interviews with him and Andrew Lee, both federal MPs. And um, I reflected during that that, um, you know, of course, I, I knew of Andrew Hastie, one of thrusting young troop commander within the unit. Uh, but I didn't know of his political aspirations and what was to be his, his political competence and until that, that time he sort of came up and said, oh, I'm going to run for office in this by-election. Um, and just goes to show the the depth of a lot of the, the folk in, well, that unit particularly, but in life in general, that yeah, it's amazing what, what some of these people are achieving over and above their, their professional vocation at the time. Yeah, wonderful episode with Andrew Hastie in season one. And uh, if you want to hear some of Andrew's insights, um, go back and take a listen to that. It was a co-episode, actually, with Andrew Lee. Yes. His insights and also his recital of a Shakespearean soliloquy. Mm -hmm. Not something you get every day. <laughs> no, not something you get every day. And very well done. Very well done. Uh, Luke Gosling, former infantry officer, parachute battalion, now the member for Solomon in the Northern Territory. And actually, he's lived a selfless life of service as well, Ben. He mm. came out of uniform and I think from memory pretty much went straight into East Timor mm -hmm. um, and worked for a non-government organisation, if my recollection's right, 
before he came back to Australia. Actually, early on in his um, life, he was in, big into adventure racing. You know, remember the whole Raid Galois yeah, and yeah. Eco Challenge? And um, he was supremely fit mm. um, in, his, in his younger days and probably is still in pretty good shape now. Uh, fiercely passionate about all things in the Northern Territory, and I think that absolutely comes through in uh, his reflections on Anzac Day. Yeah, I was classmates with his baby brother Dan, um, both long tan at RMC, and yeah, so don't know Luke very well, but but certainly knew Dan, and, and he's also been an amazing uh, champion for uh, East Timor, done a lot of great stuff up there, um, alongside Luke in some cases. And watch this space, because we've been talking about Luke uh, talking to Luke about getting him on the show. Vincenzo. Vince Connolly. Vince Connolly, again, former infantry officer. Um, was he a classmate of yours? No. Close? Uh, it's hard. I don't think we'll know. <laughs> I don't think we'll ever know. <laughs> no, I think he's a few years junior to me. Now the member for Sterling in mm-hmm. federal politics. Before that, we had a lot to do with him when he was working inside an oil and gas company, inside the security and emergency management function where he headed up crisis management. Um, great energy does Vince. And again, I think it absolutely comes through his passion for service in uh, his reflections on Anzac Day. And one of the things that I don't know if he mentions, but he's always been a fierce advocate for veterans affairs and and very energetic inside the RSL. Yeah, no, it, I've all, I, I've found our discussions with with MPs really enlightening. I, I must admit, I didn't have a really good appreciation for what it takes and what it what is involved in that kind of life of public service. Um, but they don't have a moment to themselves. It's not something you would embark on lightly. It's something that involves your whole family. Um, certainly Andrew Hasty um, reflected on that in his episode, um, puts pressures on them, uh, exposes them in some cases to these sort of attacks from the media or questioning and all this sort of stuff. It is a 100% commitment and it is 100% uh, that, that concept of service. That's why they call it public life, because I think the public rules your life, doesn't it? And you're scrutinised from every single angle. Mm. And so from public life to private entrepreneurialism, mm-hmm. Phil Hayes St. Clair, who we've, we've interviewed before, the entrepreneur's entrepreneur. I liked his message. It was very simple, and that was the importance of his military career in who he is now and how he thinks and competes, uh, completes his own analysis. Uh, we've also recorded a separate episode with Phil HSC talking entrepreneurialshipness <laughs> in season one. We have. Yeah, great insights. I was actually at school with Phil. Um, it was uh, my brother's class at, at, at a high school. And we, we sort of dropped out of contact, and then I'm, I'm very glad we've circled back around. A deep-thinking guy, another guy who's actually doing a lot for other people. I mean, a lot of what he puts out there on the uh, startup front, on the entrepreneurialism front in terms of his mentorship and guidance to other startup founders, um, he's doing a lot of that for free and, and real generosity of spirit that, that comes through. I think he also lectures at the Australian Graduate School of Management he certainly on does. entrepreneurialshipness. 
entrepreneurial seeness. <laughs> um, he really does. Yeah, he, he's absolutely a, um, a a thought leader in that space, and we very much enjoy having that relationship with him and and just bouncing ideas around with him. He, he, I like the way Phil thinks. Mm. Viv Bleicher, 30 years of service, also the CEO of Legacy Western Australia, and she speaks passionately about Legacy, and Legacy's always had a close association with the unit, Ben. Yeah, we, um, I mean, it, it goes hand in glove. This is another I, uh, one of these examples of, of people who continue to serve out of uniform, uh, looking after um, the, the children of service personnel, law enforcement officers who uh, have fallen, it is such a selfless organisation and Viv's really championing change within that very dynamic young individual. <laughs> young, <laughs> I feel old. But um, yeah, she, she really is um, highly energetic and motivated in that respect. Cameron Smith. Champion. Is he a classmate of yours? No. Nah. Have you got any classmates? <laughs> was you graduated a, one of one? A class of my own team, <laughs> as I remain. No, um, Cam was a couple of years behind me, but Cam and I spent a year in the States together. So I did an exchange with one unit uh, within US Special Operations Command. He did an exchange with another. I was up in Bragg. He was down in Fort Benning, Georgia. But we would circle around. We'd meet up. We did a bunch of courses uh, together in Florida, and um, we, we spent a lot of that year together. I had not known Cam well prior to that, but gee, I knew him well at the end of it. Um, just an amazing individual. Another one of these guys, another one of these humans that kind of just seems so effortless with his competence. I remember in, in a number of the courses we do, just his ability to command a room, to talk common sense, uh, to very charismatically engender trust um, uh, amongst the our course mates. Um, really, I've, I always found that a, a very impressive characteristic about Cam. He was one of my officers when we raised the East uh, Coast yeah, yeah. counter-terrorist capability, and he actually started, I think, in an operations role. And then I realised very quickly the calibre of the individual, and he probably got one of the toughest jobs in the counter-terrorist company which was leading the water platoon, which was comprised entirely of clearance divers, with mm. the exception of um, Cam. And I love clearance divers. I reckon they're fantastic. And we're going to talk about a clearance diver in a second. We are. And the story that uh, that he tells as part of his Anzac Day reflections is indicative of <laughs> clearance divers. Um, but yeah, he was, he was amazing, Cam. And actually his ability to plan and just be really... Uh, just show his uh, intellectual process in coming up with some options and solutions that were really well thought through. I think I don't think he ever presented a plan to me where there were gaping holes. He just was able to think about it from all different angles. Um, he has done some stuff that wasn't well thought through. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Not for this episode. But no, Cam is a champion. Um, really, Very good rugby player. Really good rugby player. Did Not, a lot of time in the Middle East. Not a bad fighter. And his other similarity with you is the best thing about him is his wife, same as you. Yeah, champions. 
both of them. And in fact, that was a that was a really good year. My now wife was my then girlfriend that year in the states, and so Cam, um, Karen, and I kicked around a lot together. Did a lot of travelling around the states and um, got some very fond memories. A, a very special place um, in both my my wife's hearts for Cam. Mm. Bruce McLennan. Mm. Now, Bruce was my first SAS squadron sergeant major when I first got to the unit. So this is the senior soldier in the squadron. Um, I'm a young troop commander. Uh, Colonel Matt was was one of the senior, um, uh, or was the senior uh, team commander in, in the land troop. I was in the water troop. And um, so, yeah, Bruce, fantastic individual to, to have in that sort of capacity. Um, remained in that role when we went to Afghanistan the first time. Um, good guy, Bruce. My lasting memory of Bruce um, was his ability to rock up to a, a um, physical fitness test. And I think he did this for theatre, but he would literally be smoking a cigarette as we're lining up to to do the, um, the 2.4-kilometre run, the mandatory army uh, physical run. And stub out a cigarette and then just charge off and destroy most of the squadron in this run. He's a good runner, that's mm. for sure. And cigarettes were a mainstay of his diet and the other balancing elements of his diet included coffee, coffee burger rings. <laughs> that's right. Bruce, he didn't mind a chip. That's <laughs> a good chip. Oh, don't never stand in the way of Bruce in a chip packet. You're going to yeah. lose an arm. Yep. Um, a very fussy eater. Very fussy eater. And also very rude and obnoxious. And I say mm. that with all due love and respect for Bruce because um, I have to admit that I didn't really know him that well in the unit, even though I was coming into the squadron as he was departing and, you know, with his time as I think he was a subject matter expert for parachuting. Um, I didn't really know him until Afghanistan and we worked together on the parliamentary elections in Afghanistan as consultants for the UN. And we lived together. And I was quite ruining the fact that I was going to go and live with Bruce. Um, it took me about a week to absolutely fall in love with a guy, mm. heart of gold. And he is rude, <laughs> brash and obnoxious, and he'll be the first to admit that. But he's uh, also, once you see the softer side of him, he's an incredible human being. Don't ever try and cook for him. I tried to do it numerous times when we lived together, and he never ate a thing. He'd just walk up and go, nah, not eating that. And open a packet of burger <laughs> Drink your beer, though. Um, no, he's a he's a cracking guy. And actually, on Anzac Day, I gave Bruce a call and you know talked a whole heap of nonsense. And in fact, he had friends arriving on Anzac Day, and I heard some commotion in the background. And I said, "Oh, Bruce, do you want to get back to your friends?" He's like, "Nah, I'm rude." <laughs> <laughs> nice way to put it. Um, next, you know, Tim Curtis. Jeez, crybaby. Actually, no, I had some really nice feedback from people as um, I reflected on Anzac Day. And oh, in my defence, if there is any defence, you sprung the whole reflections on Anzac Day on me. Oh, what, you didn't, you didn't realise we were recording an episode about Anzac Day or that it was coming up? Yeah, yeah, no. No, that was good fun. And um, I did enjoy my Anzac Day with my father. Yeah, that's pretty special. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dan Jackson. 
Yeah, so we spoke about clearance divers before. Special place in my heart for clearance divers. I don't Mm -hmm. think, let me think, have I ever met a clearance diver I didn't like? I don't think I have. (laughs) No, it's pretty hard. They're pretty cool. (laughs) They're good blokes. Yeah, hard dudes. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's a, a... that's a different kind of breed, I Also reckon. somewhat gross dudes. That's Navy in general, not to, <laughs> not to stereotype. And we, we love our naval naval brethren. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a, a different breed sometimes. But um, Dan, champion. Yep, we've got to know him really well. Oh, in fact, he was a co-founder of the Mill Gym. Yes. With uh, Nick Caldwell, who, who, we've, who we've recorded an episode yeah. with. Uh, he works for a large industrials company mm-hmm. that uh, we also do some work with. And, uh, yeah, he's he's tremendous professionalism. But continuing that spirit of uh, service and selflessness does a lot of work with the, the Clearance Divers Trust, so the, the foundation that looks after um, fallen clearance divers families and, and the welfare of, of the clearance diving community in general. And they've actually had a bit of a rough year. There's been a number of... Um, Unfortunately, we've lost a number of ex-clearance divers to suicide um, over the last year, and, and so Dan's been involved with that organisation and, and fundraising efforts to, to help um, you know, bring some assistance to the people in that community that require it. So again, more selflessness that we're, we're seeing as a common thing. Mm. Ian Young. Youngie. Chook. The old Chook. Uh, we, chook. we do love our Chooks. And Youngie was OC of 152 Signal Squadron in the SAS when I was a troop commander. Mm-hmm. Um, Beret qualified member of 152, mm-hmm. so he'd been through the selection process. And he was awesome. Yeah, he's like technically really astute. But the thing about Youngie is how laid back is he? Probably couldn't get much more laid back. Yeah. I reckon Youngie's cracked the code. Yeah. Youngie knows what is important in his life. And interestingly, there's physical elements. He does a lot of kite surfing. Yes. Endurance kiting too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's what we'd refer to as spiritual elements. He's an artist, an amazing uh, sculptor. Works with bronze and has done a bronze piece for us. Yeah, which is fantastic. Um, Yeah, I, I think he's got a pretty good balance. Yeah, exactly. Well, don't try and get him to do any work for you if the winds are up because that's where his priority is. And he lives up in Lancelot, which mm-hmm. is a bit of a windsurfing mecca, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and loves his life up there. Um, and I think you're right. Yeah, he's got a really nice balance. He also hosts Lads at Lano, a few of his old um, mates from the military. In fact, it's an open invitation. Mm. And his place, which I think sleeps about 15, you know, these... Depends how you stack them. <laughs> Any place sleeps 15, (laughs) (laughs) depending how you bend them and stack them and rack them. Um, Or go up to Lads at Lano and uh, they have a weekend together, which looks like a lot of fun. I've been invited and never gone, but I think I might have to do that. Lockie Berg. Now, you've continually hounded me for a classmate. Bergie was not in my class, <laughs> but he was a year ahead of me at Adfa, so I've, I've known him. God, I'm trying to cast back to what that is, 94. Did you take over from him as the academy cadet captain? I No, no. I took over from a lady named Olivia Baden-Clay as the academy cadet captain. Um, Bergie was starring in his own way 
at the academy. <laughs> well, as we all did. <laughs> as we all did. Um, but another just amazing – and that, that sort of continuity when, when you know people that long, it, it's a really special kind of relationship. And um, I, I look back very fondly on the time we shared back there. Um, but he's done incredible things since. Um, artillery officer – and has subsequently done a law degree. I remember him doing that part-time while still in uniform, which I thought was just amazing in terms of that capacity for work. Um, and more recently, um, Lockie Berg introduced us to Sam Penny, who we mm. we interviewed as as part of the um, the last season of The Unforgiving 60. English Channel's swimmer and cheese monger. He's been doing some interesting stuff in isolation, just yeah. changing the subject slightly. Yeah, he's been very active on, on the socials and seems to be doing amazing. I guess you can socially distance while you make cheese. Mm. Sarah Watson, Tim. Sarah Watson, former intelligence officer. In fact, Sarah describes herself as a veteran, a mum, an athlete, and a mental health advocate. She's always been selfless in what she's doing in the not-for-profit space mm. um, across a range of different organisations and I think really inspiring just to see that level of engagement. She's also been to the Invictus Games. Yeah. I think I think triathlon. I suspect triathlon, but she's an iron person. Person triathlete. Is it Iron Man or Iron Person? I think the the trademark is Iron Man. Hmm. But she does full, full and multiple full <laughs> iron multiple full iron persons <laughs> triathletes. Iron. Yeah, no, which puts you to shame. It, it definitely does. puts me to shame. Yeah, yeah. None of which takes much to do, but um, yeah, that is impressive in itself. But I think your um, you mentioned before the mental health advocacy, again hitting on that common theme of of a continual, uh, I guess, theme of service that we're seeing with with so many of the the people we spoke to. Mm, check Sarah out. I mean, she is using fitness as a form of therapy for people. She's an instructor, a fitness instructor, as well as a selfless ambassador to a range of different organisations and she's currently also a peer support worker for one of the veterans' charities. Impressive. Now, Hawks. Simon Hawken. Jeez, what to say. Is he the last? And probably appropriate. Yep. Um, To set the scene... Many of our listeners will be aware of how the the military construct works, but for those who aren't, a young army officer gets a whole bunch of great training at places like the Defence Force Academy and, and RMC in the Australian context, and they come out with some wonderful theoretical ideas about tactics and how to plan and how to lead and how to command and how to talk to people and how to give orders and how to construct training, all that sort of stuff. And they then meet reality. And as we know, no plan survives first contact with the enemy, all these sorts of things. They get posted up to a unit and actually have to apply all these wonderful things they've learned in real life. And I reckon that would be a spectacular failure 90% of the time if it were not for this wonderful breed of humans called platoon sergeants. And Hawks was uh, one of my very first platoon sergeants up in the 2nd Battalion. And... Quite honestly, in in much the same way that at the end of my career, a guy like Cole Busby sort of propped me up um, in in that role. Uh, 
guys like Hawks and, and in particular that second year of, of my time in 2 RAR when he was my platoon sergeant, uh, kept me from doing so many spectacularly stupid things that allowed me some modicum of credibility and some modicum of success as a young officer, which really laid the foundations for, for everything I did from them. So brilliant human being and, and we're really stoked to remain in touch with Hawks, who actually does his own podcast, HR with Hawks, which is a great listen as well. We are about to carve out some time to to spend with Hawks on that. So listen out for that. But yeah, very soft spot in my heart for, for Simon Hawkins. He's only been harassing you for months to get that teed up. Lockdown. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's very, I'm, I'm it's blaming very, a lot. Very difficult. In to fact, lockdown suits me with, oh, yeah, I'd love to catch up with lockdown. <laughs> um, no, Hawks. We, we do apologise. That's mainly on Tim for not getting it organised, but we are going <laughs> to um, circle around for an HR with Hawks. And Simon Hawkins was one of my patrol commanders in Recon Sniper Platoon in the then 2nd, 4th Battalion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome young fellow back then and awesome older fellow right now. Well, that round's complete. They were the voices behind the veterans, behind the voices from veterans, Anzac Day special. And I just wanted to maybe one little shout out, Ben, to Rob Redenbach, who recited a poem written by George Mansford, Warry George, mm. who was who's an old stalwart um, living up in far north Queensland. And speaking of carving time out to interview people, we've been asked to do that. And that's one that we absolutely but, want yeah. to do in person. Yes. Um, so George Mansford, uh, probably best known as the author of Mad Galahs, um, which is a fantastic... I, I'm almost certain that was on our required reading list at RMC. It's that calibre of of book, sort of reflection on military leadership in the Australian context. But, yeah, deep thinker in that space. And uh, he does a lot of writing, including poetry, but also short stories. And um, we are the beneficiaries of getting the short stories mailed out to us periodically. And if you want to see his poetry, it's actually incredible. Just do a Google search of uh, veterans poetry and it should ping up a link. It's an mm -hmm. international link where veterans and I think others who, are, who have not served write um, poems that are about service. But uh, yeah, you'll be able to sift and sort there. Go to George Mansford and read his works. It's awesome. We'll chuck a link in the show notes and beautifully read by Rob Redenback. As always, Mr. Redenback has golden tonsils fantastic yeah yeah very dulcet tones and and we very much appreciate um our relationship with rob another amazing veteran um doing continuing to do amazing things uh some really interesting stories from from rob over the years and and we love having him to to bounce ideas off as we go through our own professional and personal lives and so humble he didn't want to talk about his service he said the day is not about him uh, but we did ask him to read george's poem and he did that yeah, no, we're very thankful for that. Well, that was Anzac Day. Yeah, it's a good show. Yeah, it was a good show. And, a, and a, as we said right at the start, a, a pretty a novel way of commemorating Anzac Day this year, which actually turned out to be pretty special for a lot of people. Hmm. Fantastic. Well, until next time, we'll see you later. Cheers. Well, you parked his car outside the Rose Hotel. Jar. Well, he ain't been 
been home since 